I think, you know, one of the biggest issues is just affordability. You know, when you have home prices holding, you know, for the most part at all time highs, and then you have mortgage rates all of a sudden doubling really creates an affordability issue for a lot of folks. And, you know, there's ways to work on that, but it's going to be an issue for a while. And, you know, not to say that rates are where they are today are like high historically. They're actually quite low. Hey, folks, this is Clayton Collins, your host for the Housing News Podcast. I'm also the CEO of HW Media, where I have the pleasure of leading Housing Wire, Real Trends, Reverse Mortgage Daily, and Altos Research. At HW Media, we're focused on bringing real-time news information and industry data to housing professionals so they can make more informed decisions and help build a more sustainable housing market. Today on the Housing News Podcast, I have the pleasure of interviewing Kevin Para, CEO of Plaza Mortgage. Kevin has a phenomenal track record and history in the mortgage industry. He's been in the industry since 1984 at a point where mortgage rates were significantly higher than they are today. So he has been through a cycle or two and understands how to navigate the mortgage market as it changes. But this market that we're operating in right now with rapidly rising interest rates and inventory that's significantly lower than we saw over the last several years has been challenging even for the best of operators. Kevin gives us a glimpse into some of the strategies that he is employing as we start 2023 and plan for a year where we don't know exactly where rates are going. We don't know exactly what volume is going to be, but we know that we need to continue to serve homeowners and run efficient mortgage banking operations. Kevin is highly focused on recruiting the best account execs and building a culture at Plaza that recruits and retains the best mortgage professionals and provides them with impressive and efficient technology tools. Kevin gives us a view into those strategies in today's conversation. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kevin Para, CEO of Plaza Mortgage. All right, Kevin, thanks for joining us for an episode of Housing News. Sure, Clayton. So, Kevin, this conversation, I, I always try to recruit great mortgage executives to join us for the show, and particularly executives that have you know been through a few cycles. And I, I know you've been in the business since since 1984. So a lot of the challenges that we're seeing today, while they have their a new flavor and maybe a little more pronounced than uh, some of the, the cycles and challenges we've seen in the past. Um, you have some experience navigating. So tell us a little bit, a little bit about your history in the mortgage ecosystem. And since you started in 84. Well, when I started in 84, uh, interest rates were, fixed rates were like 17%. And uh, I was selling 11% option arms as a loan officer. And I thought it was great because I didn't know any better. I just gotten out of college. Six points lower than the thirty year the thirty year fix. That sounds like a great product. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so you know, it really comes down to you know what is a good market, what's a bad market, and you know, I thought it was a great market because you know the competition was in balance with the amount of volume that was out there, and so I did well in that market. Um, and over the years, you know, I've seen you know the changes in market up and down, um, you know, we're a very cyclical industry. And, you know, the, the, the really most important thing is whether or not there's a balance between supply and capacity. And I've never seen such a radical disparity between supply and capacity as I have today. 
Um, I mean, most of the large firms that have the biggest market share are down anywhere from 50 to 70%. And yet uh, employment in the mortgage industry is down 15%. So we're still have a massive capacity issue and it's making that very difficult for mortgage companies such as myself and many others uh, to, you know, to do well in this environment. So this isn't the first, like we're in the back end of what's not the first refi boom that either of us have seen in the mortgage industry, particularly in over, over your years of experience. So how has the industry adjusted to um, the back end of refi booms in the past? And, and why is this disparity between um, capacity and demand so much wider than what you've seen at other points in your career? Well, I think it's the speed in which it happened. Um, you know, inflation after COVID took off like, you know, highest it's been in 40 years. And that caused the Fed to raise rates as fast as they lowered them during COVID. Uh, and that's really caused, you know, quite, quite a impact on both the mortgage market and the housing market. I mean, who would leave a 3% mortgage to move into a 6% mortgage? So that's really frozen up a lot of the housing market. I mean, unless someone dies or gets divorced, they're probably not going to move. Uh, and, you know, the relocation issue has really kind of been extinguished by everyone working from home. So I think that's really created a, a steep drop in demand, which I've never seen in, in my career. Yeah. So back in at the end of December, I think it was like uh, the 28th or 29th, one of our reporters, Flavia, published an article talking about 2023 strategies. And she interviewed you for that article. And two of the points that you referenced as part of the challenge that we're facing right now are home buyer psyche and affordability. So when you talk about home buyer psyche, are you talking about that that mortgage rate lockdown kind of dynamic that you just mentioned? Or are there other components which might influence how homeowners are thinking about or potential homeowners are thinking about the housing market today? I think you know, one of the biggest issues is just affordability. You know, when you have home prices holding, you know, for the most part at all time highs, and then you have mortgage rates all of a sudden doubling really creates an affordability issue for a lot of folks. And, you know, there's ways to work on that, but it's going to be an issue for a while. And, you know, not to say that rates are where they are today are like, high historically they're actually quite low i remember when if you get a six percent rate that's that's crazy you know it's so good i mean your career in the industry almost matches up perfectly with this multi-decade decline in mortgage rates that that we've seen over the the last three decades pretty much um and so yeah that's kind of the the shocker is is having rates double in a very short period of time um and you know, housing prices were pushed up because of low rates over all that, over that entire time, because of how much you could buy with based on a 3% mortgage or a 4% mortgage. Um, you know, you could afford a lot more. And now all of a sudden, you know, it's a 6% mortgage or a five and a half percent mortgage and it affordability is a, a real issue. And it's going to take, a, I think it's going to take a long time for that balance to, to get there again. So one of the things that it seems like the Fed has their sites set on is reducing wage inflation, which is a, a driver of other inflationary categories. Wage inflation is one of the things that actually could realign home prices and affordability. 
Um, but it seems like the Fed's set on achieving that a different way by pushing home prices down through higher rates. Do you think that we have further to go and where home prices may realign or, or readjust to the current wage levels in, in certain markets? I think, again, that's going to take quite some time because there's not really a huge need to move for most people these days with you know relocation not being an issue. Um, as I said before, it's pretty much death and divorce are, are kind of reasons why people sell their house or are forced to sell their house. And you know, wages to catch up to, you know, a doubling of rates uh, would, would take a lot of increase in wages, which the Fed is actually trying to, you know, not have happen uh, because wage inflation is something that is, you know, from an inflation standpoint, very sticky. Wages typically don't go down after they've gone up. You know, they're not volatile like, you know, food and energy. So, you know, the Fed is basically doing their best to, you know, tamp down inflation. But I don't know that they have the right levers to be able to do that, given the current environment post-COVID. Yeah. Okay. So before we, you know, kind of go deeper into how you're steering your organization to navigate this market, can you give us like uh, an overview of Plaza, the business lines that you operate and your major focus areas? Well, we've always focused on um, mortgage broker. You know, that the TPO has been our, our business model since we opened the company in 2000. Uh, we added correspondent lending about 10 years ago uh, as it was a good complement to our, you know, being a TPO lender. We've always steered away from retail. That's not our strength. It's always been TPO. I had a lot of experience in correspondent lending in my career as well as wholesale. And so it made sense. And we just feel like, you know, you, you got to be really good at what you're doing and you can't be good at everything. And we're really good at third party lending. And so that's been our focus and will continue to be our focus. Nice. So I think overall wholesale and, and TPO has had a strength in the purchase market. And over the last two years or, you know, a little bit longer than that now, we saw this incredibly strong refi market. How did that market dynamic impact your origination mix? And were you able to maintain a stronger purchase lens through the broker network than, you know, maybe some of your retail counterparts? Yeah. I mean, since we don't have in-house, you know, retail calling, you know, for refis, you know, the decrease in refis had way less effect on us than it did, you know, the consumer direct guys who really relied on nothing but refis. Whereas, you know, our broker clients, you know, they've always been referral based for the most part. I mean, there are some big brokers that did do consumer direct, but they weren't our brokers because our whole focus is in helping our customers figure out how to get deals done. And those aren't refinances, those are purchases. Refinances are pretty easy <laughs> and purchases can be far more complicated and also require different products uh, to make them work. And that's been our expertise always from the beginning. We've always focused on the purchase broker and it's paid off from a standpoint of, you know, us having a, a less of a drop in volume than some of the others that have big consumer direction. 
Yeah, that's, you know, that's a positive thing. Despite the, I, I know purchase volume is, you know, had its challenges too, particularly with low inventory and affordability issues, but definitely a positive not to be coming down off of the mountain of refi as an operator. And I definitely don't operate a mortgage lending shop, but a media and data business in the housing industry. I find we have parts of our business where I need to exercise extreme caution from a cost perspective, but other parts of the business where it's time to put our foot on the gas and be more aggressive with recruiting the right people or certain marketing initiatives or product initiatives. How do you think about your business as you enter 2023? Are there areas where you kind of have to, you know, wear two different hats at the same time, like the cautious hat, but also the how do we gain market share through this environment hat? So we've had a great opportunity from a standpoint of recruiting because a lot of companies that were wholesale and retail have chosen to exit the wholesale channel, which has been, you know, a phenomenal opportunity for us. Um, and as far as, you know, wearing the other hat, obviously we have to make sure we are the right size company for the amount of volume that's out there. Um, you know, we're, we're 90% purchased. So everything that we're going after is going to be just pure market share. Um, so using technology, um, to become more efficient, to, you know, enable us to price where we're, you know, in the hunt, um, and yet still have the, you know, the expertise, uh, the, the salespeople that can go out and really figure out how to make deals work for, for our customers. I mean, that's, that's really the name of the game for us. You know, outside of the, the focus and track record in, in wholesale, are there other reasons why, uh, an AE who's coming out of a different organization may may choose Plaza? Well, I think the obvious reason is <laughs> our tenureship. I mean, we're, we've been around for 23 years. We've been through some pretty horrendous cycles, and we're still here. And there's not really too many pure TPO shops. I don't know if there's any that can say that. Uh, so we're obviously committed to third-party lending. Um, while others, you know, bigger companies, public companies have discarded it along the way several times. It's not, <laughs> it's not like it's just been once, you know, like they come and go. So for someone who wants a career in uh, being an account executive and growing that career into management, uh, I think, you know, that's a pretty big reason for them to think about Plaza. Uh, in addition to that, obviously, our product offering has always been broad, um, which helps us through various types of purchase markets, um, whether it be needing renovation lending or um, whether it be just buy-downs. Uh, we're very strong in FHA, which is typically your first-time home buyer, which is where a purchase market starts. Uh, so... Yeah, I think there's a pretty big value proposition for an account executive to consider plazas as a destination employer. And our tenureship uh, also has a lot uh, to say to people looking at us is, you know, we've had people with us for a very long time. I mean, most, most companies, you know, their, their account executives are, you know, two years and then two years and two years, <laughs> whereas we're more like five to 10 years. It's pretty impressive, I think relative to our competitors. Yeah, that, that definitely is a, a differentiator. So it feels like if we kind of rewind to some of the pre-COVID years, there was a period where with 
IMBs. It was, you know, relatively in vogue to be able to sell the story of multi-origination line diversification and having the retail, consumer direct, TPO channels all humming together. I'd say if there's a trend that I feel like is is emerging right now, you know, partially by necessity, partially by focus, is more single channel focus or lenders really starting to, even if they have multiple lines, like raise their hands and say, hey, we're TPO first, we're retail first. Do you think that's a trend that's emerging or maybe a, a false signal that I'm seeing? No, no, it's 100% a trend. I mean, <laughs> do you see how many guys exited TPO? <laughs> I call that a trend. Yeah. And that, I mean, I don't know if that was like exiting TPO was like, that was partially by necessity, right? Like there was people that were just that were getting it handed to them by folks with like single channel focus. Yeah. And I think it goes back to, again, you know, focus on what you're really good at and make sure you succeed there. Uh, And it's hard to be good at, you know, different channels because they're very different. You know, the the reason why we're really good at correspondent is because it's a good complement to uh, wholesale, but retail is a completely different animal. Yeah. So in talking about the focus on wholesale, so we've definitely heard organizations like AIM and NAM and UWM and uh, and other lenders that are wholesale focused talk about growth in the broker channel, like growing the pie and seeing more originators turn from the retail channel to the wholesale channel. Is that a trend that you're seeing and, and something that you're making a bet on? Um, well, I, I wouldn't say I'm making a bet on it, but I'm expecting it because it is a trend and I'm, I am seeing it. So if you look at the primary secondary spread right now, it's running anywhere from 130 to 150 basis points. Whereas, you know, on the wholesale channel, we're not seeing anything close to that. So pricing for brokers is definitely far better than pricing uh, for your retail loan officers. And that's a, that's a pretty big competitive advantage right there. And you know, a retail shop has got overhead that is far exceeds a mortgage broker shop. So the combination of a broker and a wholesale lender is going to be, in my opinion, the price and product availability and execution over most retail mortgage lenders. Success might look different this year, but it's out there for those willing to work for it. That's why 2023's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging opportunities, the perfect chance for industry leaders to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses and the real estate industry at large. Gathering of Eagles will bring together the nation's top residential real estate CEOs, presidents, and C-level leadership teams to grow, network, and set the pace for what's next in our industry. 2023's GOE is at Omni Barton Creek Resort in the rolling hill country of Austin, Texas from June 18th until the 21st. Learn more and register your spot on the events page at realtrends.com. And we can't wait to see you in Austin. So as we enter like a much more purchase focused market, and you know, that might be the biggest understatement of, uh, <laughs> of of the podcast, we keep hearing a larger emphasis on 
originators and lenders wanting deeper relationships with their realtor partners. If the wholesale channel is delivering a pricing model that has advantages over retail, are brokers doing an effective job at, at telling that story to their agent partners or what has to happen from an awareness perspective to really to leverage that advantage? Well, I don't think that price is something that they should be really focusing on. I think that is self-evident. Consumers tend to shop because it's pretty easy these days online to shop to see if they're, you know, whoever is offering them a particular rate, it's reasonable, it's in the hunt. Uh, I think what they really need to focus on with their partners that are referral partners is what they can offer as far as getting a deal done, because that's the biggest thing. I mean, realtors care most about the transaction closing. And that is what, you know, they really need to focus on is showing their partners how they can get the deal done. Whereas, you know, maybe the guy, you know, at the retail shop can't based on, you know, product alone. But affordability like plays a plays a role in deals closing. And, you know, I think that's where, you know, rate matters. We keep hearing, um, you know, it's been going on for four or five months now, but people talking about rate dot buy down programs. Um, I even saw a developer of uh, New York City condos this week whose developer is doing a, a 3% buy down program. Do you think those buy down programs have uh, legs and are, are, are serving their intended purpose? Oh, for sure. I mean, I actually, I spoke to another publication, I believe, about buy downs and how important they are in markets like this. If you think that, you know, we're probably at the top or getting close to the top of where rates are going to be, if you can lower your rate um, 2% and then 1% over the next two years and then refinance, that's a far better option than trying to get a price concession for the property you're buying. And that's builders have known this forever. You know, and that's one of the, one of the things I did do in my past career is I was a builder rep, uh, you know, calling on builders. And, you know, buy downs were, were normal. I know there, there's a tremendous amount of use of them in today's market by builders. And, you know, we are uh, we're obviously pushing that out to our, our broker customers that, you know, especially ones that have not been around as long that are unfamiliar with the product. It's not really a product. It's just a it's it's more of a strategy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, buy downs are, are really becoming a, a bigger part of the market. And I think they really serve uh, both the consumer and the seller, whether it be a private seller or a builder uh, quite well. Yeah. So um, let's shift over to kind of some of the national market data. And I'd, I'd love to hear kind of what you're you're seeing in your business. So rates have been over 6% most of the year. I think we saw one one read where they dropped a, a, a five handle for, for a hot minute before we got a a hot jobs report. Um, but kind of despite that, we're, we are seeing some positive traction and applications from the MBA survey. This last week, we saw a 3% week over week increase, which is, you know, starting from a small base. So 3% isn't, isn't huge, but I am hearing a lot of anecdotal evidence from originators and, uh, IMB execs where they, they are seeing a, you know, pretty massive shift in the volume they saw in November and December, overall Q4 to kind of how Q1 is starting out. How, what's your sense on how Q1 is starting out and how, how is that impacting your your strategy for 2023? Well, you know, the good news is it has started out much better 
than uh, the end of last year, um, especially even since January. We've seen quite a pop in originations. And um, that, you know, that's obviously a positive sign. Whether or not that continues uh, based on, you know, where rates are going, which is appear to still be going up again, um, we'll have, have to wait and see. I certainly have learned long ago not to try to predict it where interest rates are going uh, <laughs> other than until maybe tomorrow. <laughs> That's about it as far as, um, you know, I, I think the important thing is, you know, when, when you're, you're looking at your strategy is you have to be nimble. So regardless of what rates do, uh, you have to be ready for, to adjust quickly. And, um, you know, that's what's, you know, what's benefited us over the years is being, being nimble, being able to adjust quickly you know, not having a, a, a very, you know, large uh, management structure. I mean, we're very, we're very thin uh, when it comes to, you know, our org chart. And uh, I think that benefits us because we know what's going on, you know, pretty much right away. And, you know, to be able to make decisions based on current information is really important uh, in markets like this, which where the volatility is, is quite high. Earlier, we talked about mortgage shops kind of getting the right kind of staffing and expense structure for the current market demand. You know, that's one of the you know parts of this, this market dynamic that I think is, is most frustrating is we can't make predictions for 20, full 2023 volume. We can't predict where interest rates are going to be. But today, uh, lenders need to make decisions about how they're going to staff and prepare their organizations for for the the remainder of the year. Um, we know we can't like ramp up ops processing and underwriting overnight if we see interest rates uh, come back into an area where people start to transact at a at a higher volume. Uh, earlier, you mentioned technology. Do you see technology as being a tool that helps you be more elastic, or you know, is it still a pretty um, you know, ha- have it in the back of your head that you, you might need to, to ramp hiring in certain areas if the market cooperates? Well, technology for sure can make you more elastic. We've employed a lot of technology in the past six months, even, um, whether it be bots, which basically do, you know, mundane processes that nobody really wants to do anyway, that can be far more uh, efficient at getting things done, or whether it be just, you know, better uh, presentation of, you know, how, how the uh, system looks to our, our customers. I mean, we went from having to uh, do webinars on how to use our system to where <laughs> somebody starts, you know, a training and they're like, no, oh, I got this. This is obvious. <laughs> so it's doing things like that, I think, really make a difference as far as, you know, being able to ramp things up quickly when necessary. Uh, your technology has to be, you know, easy to use. Uh, it has to be efficient and nimble. Um, and, you know, we make changes when necessary. And as far as, you know, just staffing, I mean, it's always been in my, in my entire uh, career, you know, you have the sales side that is extremely optimistic <laughs> about how much volume they're going to do this year, even though they have no idea what's really going to happen with interest rates. Uh, and then you have, you know, the, the corporate side that's saying, hey, you know, <laughs> we got to staff appropriately. So that tends to, to create a situation where uh, lenders don't adjust fast enough. And, um, you know, that's, that's been an age-old problem that, you know, I, I'm familiar with. So I'm like, well, 
let's stop for what we did right now, <laughs> you know, because we can probably get people back if we need to, but we can't afford to just bleed because we're overstaffed. Yeah. So Kevin, we started the conversation talking about consumer psyche, but I think you're starting to point to like the importance of talking about like mortgage professional psyche. We get that sales orgs and like have a a tendency to be over optimistic and you know like you can put that in a negative light but it's also a really important mindset like the last thing you want is a uh is a an originator and like in their own head in a downward spiral negative about like what their outcomes for 2023 right might be that just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy so on the sales side how do you manage mindset and make sure your team is focused in the right places well fortunately i have a really good management team uh who does that for our account executives and hopefully they push that out to our customers um it's funny i just had a guy who's uh, a regional manager in the west and he he wrote to his uh to his account executives that work under him uh, how he was really kind of down about just everything that's going on and you know it was just kind of you know everything's gloom and doom and then he he went out to lunch with a with a guy that he really respected and found like a bunch of positive things that really kind of turned his his mindset around like wow you know we actually have a huge opportunity here i mean things like you know uh renovation lending that where you know you look at america's housing stock and how how much it needs work uh and that that's an opportunity to to where people can see and like I can buy a house for two hundred thousand, um, put twenty thousand into it without additional cash outlay through innovation lending, and have a house worth two hundred fifty thousand. So, I mean, that's things like that. You know, keep people like positive that there is opportunity out there, and it's not all gloom and doom. And again, like I said before, rate, rates are actually quite good. It's just waiting for the balance between prices and rates to get more equalized. And, you know, without people moving and having to sell, uh, it's going to take a while. So in the meantime, you got to focus on the things you can do. Yeah. So how do you, so stepping away from like sales leadership, like are there your other leaders in the organization, um, how do you focus them on the things that they can control versus the things that are out outside of your control? And I, I guess I'm specifically, you know, thinking about, um, operations leadership, capital markets leadership, technology leadership, who, who, you know, might be feeling like they have less control over the, the direction the ship is headed in today. Well, I think, you know, it really comes down to is, is, you know, efficiency is what you need to, to focus on. And everyone knows that in our organization, you know, anything they can come up with to make us more efficient in, you know, basically producing loans, uh, is going to help us. And, you know, anything that's inefficient has to be extinguished. So that's kind of like the mantra of, of everyone in the organization is driving toward efficiencies and uh, making the user experience being our customer's experience, uh, as well as our internal um, customers, to be the best it can be, given what we have to work with. And that's, that's what our focus is all, always. As CEO, have you uh, developed any tactics for 
rewarding that focus or rewarding your team members for, for thinking about efficiency and like the activities that we know help the organization and, and help the longevity and long-term trajectory, but you know, often come with some short-term pain. Like how do you reward and recognize like what some of those leaders are doing today to, to help steer your business toward success and market share growth? Well, from a, you know, executive standpoint, <laughs> obviously the reward is, you know, you're in bonus. <laughs> I mean, we financially reward executives, but as far as people further down the line, um, we have things like a rewards and recognition program where people can get nominated to MVP, most valuable player. And by earning that MVP status, they have an opportunity to join us on our annual awards trip. So, you know, we look for things always to be able to just you know, whether it be a pat on the back, you know, through sharing it with the organization, um, letting everybody know that, hey, this person did an amazing job. Um, or whether it be, you know, the at the end of the year, we decide who <laughs> who is the most influential in the organization and they join us on our annual sales trip, um, which are usually to very nice destinations. Uh, and, you know, I think that's kind of been something that we've always been pretty good at. And, you know, we, we ourselves do uh, internal surveys uh, done by an outside agency so that everybody can feel comfortable it's about speaking freely and asking them questions about, you know, what they think of the organization and, and, you know, what they think of, you know, who they're working for. And our response rates have been north of 85% most of the years we've done them. And we really get an idea as to whether or not people are happy. And the overall happiness of our associates obviously reflects on how they do their job, how they interact with our customers, I mean, everything. So fortunately, we've been very, we've done a really good job in that area. And people are very satisfied. And that's probably a reason why we have such great tenureship at our company. Is there anything that stands out to you over the years through those surveys that you know, has has surprised you or you've learned or that you've you've taken and implemented change with like anything that stands out that you've learned from your team I mean maybe health benefits something like that but as far as uh, other surprises not really because if you really have your pulse on your company you really shouldn't have that many surprises yeah absolutely so we we talked a little bit about what to anticipate in 2023. And we know we're not here to, to shake the the crystal ball. We don't know what's going to happen exactly with interest rates. Uh, you know, it'll be one economic report to the next. Um, but as the industry's talked a lot about some of the trends that will emerge with uncertainty, one of those has been, has been consolidation. We talked about people exiting channels, but there's also M and a, um, so as we look forward to 2023 for Plaza, is there anything, um, you know, that, that you're changing strategically? Are you are you thinking about um, recruiting differently or M and A differently, tech investments differently? Like like what's um like you know one thing that you know might surprise us if we look back at the end of 2023 that that Plaza uh, really focused on? Well, M and A has never been part of our deal. I mean, we, we've always been organically grown. Um, we feel that that served us well over 23 years. Um, you know, I'm, there's one company that <laughs> to, bought a wholesale company and closed them shortly thereafter. I'm not going to name names, but <laughs> it's pretty significant. I think you can search housingwire.com for that answer. 
Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's never been part of our deal. Our, our deal is, you know, we feel that we have a great platform that attracts strong people and that served us well over the years. And we'll continue to do that and continue to build on that platform through using technology and processes that, uh, you know, constantly searching for process improvement, best practices. And, you know, that's pretty much the same thing we've been doing since the beginning. And so there's not really anything's going to change with Plaza um, this year other than constant search for improvement, which um, I think we've done pretty well at. The, the Kaizen uh, methodology, continuous improvement. I, I love the, the focus, Kevin. Th- thanks so much for giving us a glimpse into your business and the way you're, you're thinking about um, 2023. Really, really appreciate the time today. Sure. Thanks for having me. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.